Life Audio. Today we're actually reading two psalms together, but in the first one, there's an interesting concept that I don't think we hear a lot of teaching on, and it's looking at God as mother. Now, before you call me a heretic, I have to remind you that as believers were made in the image of God and male and female together represent this complete representation of God's character and nature. And if we think about some of the aspects of a mother caring and nurturing, bringing comfort and provision, it reminds us of some of the attributes of God. And so it's not saying that God is female, but it is going through some of these feminine characteristics that we see in God and liking them to a mother. So we're going to unpack that more today. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with Him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand His will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are actually going through two Psalms. We're going to go through Psalm 131 and Psalm 132. Psalm 131 is only three verses and both of these Psalms are Psalms that were written by David. And so while they were likely written at different times, we're going to treat them together and I think we'll have a better understanding of both of them that way. We're going through the Psalms one, or in this case, two at a time to really help you have a good understanding of this hymn book and prayer book of Jesus. Each week, what I do is on Mondays, I send out journaling prompts to go along with each of these. And they're also listed in each day's description. So if you are looking at your podcast app, go to the description and it'll show you the journaling prompt for the day. Again, that's just an additional resource to help you process the information that you're learning. If you would like previous episode journaling prompts, you can go to shehears.org to the resources section and look for the Psalms books. Starting at verse 1 of Psalm 131, we're in the New American Standard Bible version today. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever. And now Psalm 132. Starting at verse 1, Remember, Lord, in David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I certainly will not enter my house, nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard about it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of Jar. Let's go into his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Arise, Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. May your priests be clothed with righteousness, and may your godly ones sing for joy. 
For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. I will set upon your throne one from the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons will also sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it as his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her food. I will satisfy her needy with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. I will make them the horn of David spring forth there. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but upon himself his crown will gleam. So there's a lot to unpack here. The The first Psalm that I read, Psalm 131, is only three verses, but I wanted to just kind of touch base a little bit on one of the things that I think is a sticking point for a lot of people. Of course, we know this is a Psalm of David, but it's talking about in verse two, something that I think we don't hear a lot about or we don't learn a lot about. It's talking about how he is now as content as a weaned child is content with its mother. And so that's a simile that is describing this analogy between a weaned child, a weaned baby, and its mother, and the psalmist is likening that to God, and it's illustrating a feminine image of God. And so I'm not saying by any means that God is female, but what I am saying is there's a feminine aspect here in this idea of a mother and a child. Think about that in terms, before you get upset with me, think about that in terms of what that means. A weaned child, which is a baby that is no longer nursing from its mother, can rest comfortably in that mother's arms. It knows that that mother is going to take care of them. A, a baby that's not yet weaned is sometimes very fussy and restless. And there's a difference between even just the temperament of a baby that's younger versus one that's weaned. And so what the psalmist is doing here is giving this image, this word picture of this kind of trustful confidence that he's now experiencing in his relationship with God. And I want to point that out because there are places in scripture where we learn about these feminine characteristics. But again, like I said at the beginning of today's episode, it's not that it's saying that God is feminine. It's saying that there are aspects of, of women that are made in the image of God that display characteristics of God. So I think that's important to point out. Going on to Psalm 132, again, this is another Psalm written by David. And this Psalm does not fit neatly into one specific genre. It is clearly a royal Psalm and it's appealing to God on behalf of this Davidic dynasty. And it's based on the covenant that we read about in Second Samuel chapter seven. And so what this Psalm is doing is it's presupposing this problem but it's not clearly described what the problem is. But it explains why there's this urgency with how the psalmist is asking God to remember David and his self-denial in verse 1. And his appeal is not to reject your anointed one. So even in that, what this psalm does is it's exuding this confidence based on God's choice of David and his descendants as the kings of Israel and the choice of Zion as a place where he's going to make his presence known. That manifest presence is going to come. And so that request to remember David is probably in support of a Davidic ruler that's going to be coming later. 
in verse 1, after the psalmist invokes God, he's asking him to remember David. But in light of the rest of the psalm, that's an appeal that is in the interest of David's descendants. We've talked about this idea of remembrance before. This idea, in at least in this time frame with the Israelite culture, this idea of remembrance is beyond just thinking about it in their brain. It's an action. It's an act that they would be doing. So in essence, what the psalmist is doing is he's calling on God to not only just think fondly towards David and his dynasty, but to act on his behalf positively. And so according to the NIV, which we read the New American Standard today, but according to the NIV, it's asking God to remember his self-denial. And I think that's important because remember what David did. He was planning and building and making the way for a permanent lodging of the Ark of the Covenant. And in that process, it was difficult. In fact, some of the other translations would not translate that as self-denial. They would translate it as hardship or adversity or anxious care. But regardless of which translation you use, that understanding is pretty similar. And the appeal here is broader and is referring to pretty much all of David's life, which, you know, from the time of his conflict with Saul on, it was hard. It There was adversity. There was this anxiousness. There was this self-denial. And so that's kind of the context with which the psalmist is appealing to God. I actually think we're going to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we'll dive into the second part of the psalm. So within the context of the temple, I think verses two through five recognize David's promise. And so David had this intense commitment to, of course, build a place where God would reside. He he swore an oath and he made a vow to the Lord. And with that vow came a lot of sacrifice. He would deny himself sleep even in the interest of constructing this. And David first brings the ark to Jerusalem And then, of course, he's trying to construct this permanent dwelling place for this symbol of God's presence among God's people. And God does not allow him to build it. He, of course, is leaving that task to Solomon, who is David's son. But David expends considerable energy and cost expense in preparing for the building of the temple. This was a multi-generational task that was handed to David and, of course, his son Solomon. The next part gets into specifically a little bit more the act of bringing the ark to Jerusalem. So verses six through nine talks about this. And so this began in David's hometown, the ancestral home of David. Ephrathah is another name for Bethlehem. And of course, that eventually brings him to a jar where the ark was kept after having been returned by the Philistines. If you are not familiar with that story, you can go back and read it in 1 Samuel chapters four through six, the Philistines had captured the ark in a battle with Israelite army when they were under the leadership of Eli's corrupt sons. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and read that. But that's where the ark was kept after that process. And so David, of course, had this huge effort to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And it's not like that was an easy task. In fact, it was filled with difficulty. But the ark represented God's presence, and it was closely associated with God as warrior, which is why it's often accompanied by the army of Israel on the battlefield, and it's also called the ark of your God's might. 
So when the ark was in the sanctuary, which was going to be God's home or his palace on earth, it was placed inside the Holy of Holies and it represented the footstool of God and his royal throne. So basically the ark was this potent symbol of God's presence with his people. And David, even though he knew all of that, he didn't necessarily take the the best care to secure the ark carefully in the first time he was bringing it to Jerusalem. And so a man named Uzzah was killed by God when he attempted to stabilize the ark because it, it was kind of like wiggling or wobbling and he was attempting to, to fix it. And then he was killed for touching it. And that really kind of fell to David. It was David's fault, essentially, that that happened because he was responsible for securing the ark carefully. And then after a period of time, David was encouraged by the blessing that came on the house where it was left to finally bring it all the way back to Jerusalem. And of course, at that time, there was great rejoicing. Again, you can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But the call for God to arise is found in the the warfare language. And it's that context that's appropriate here because there's this association with the ark and battle. And so it helps us think through some and re- even refer back to some of the wanderings where Moses would begin the day's march with them carrying the ark in front of them and they would the priests would be carrying it and they would say rise up lord may your enemies be scattered may your foe flee before you and you can read about that in numbers 10 if you don't know what I'm talking about there and so there's all this imagery that reminds us of this process that Israel has gone through and how the ark was part of that entire process. Then, of course, 10 through 12 goes on to talk about this promise of the dynasty that God had made to David. And eventually we know it's David descendants that stay on the throne. And eventually Jesus comes from that line. And so we can trace that all through 10 through 12. And then in 13 through 16, It's focusing more on Zion as the place that God chose for this construction of the temple. And under Solomon, David's son, the temple would be that place where the the ark would rest. And of course, where God makes his presence known among the people. And he is king. So this home that he has, this palace, this holy of holies is essentially his throne room. And as a result, God, who is the benevolent king, is going to provide the material and the spiritual blessings to the people. And he's paying special attention to the vulnerable, the poor, and also Zion's leaders. And so the people in response to that are rejoicing. At the end, in verses 17 and 18, it talks about David's strength. And I think it's important to remember that the psalm opened up with this request that God would remember David. And now it's ending with his divine commitment that God, yes, will indeed and adopt this positive response to David and act according to that towards his dynasty. And the horn is a symbol of power, both politically at that time and in the military. And so God promises to enhance the power of David's dynasty. The lamp is what guides the way in the darkness. And that's where God promises to be a lamp or a guide to the king, the anointed one. The anointed one was the king. So while the enemies of the dynasty will be ashamed, the ruler, the Davidic ruler will be honored. And so essentially what we're seeing is this covenant promise playing out before us. How does this all connect to Jesus? Well, I think it's important for 
us to recognize that as believers, as Christians, our theology, our belief in God is really centered around this concern for the anointed king. And in our case, of course, now that's the Messiah. But there is still this connection to this covenant that God made with David. God promised David, in spite of the fact that he would have to deal with him and deal with his descendants that had gone wayward, there's still this promise that your house and your kingdom, meaning David, shall endure ever before me and your throne shall be established forever. That's 2 Samuel seven sixteen. So this Davidic dynasty, this, this throne of David, this rulership of David and his family line, it came to a definite end physically with King Zechariah when Jerusalem was overtaken by the Babylonians in 586 BC. After that point, the royal Psalms were read with this like eschatological meaning, meaning there wasn't physically a Davidic king on the throne. But what they would do is they were looking forward because in the future, an anointed one who was the Messiah, a descendant of David, would eventually assume the throne. So in a lot of ways, this psalm is prophetic because it's looking forward to Christ. And so although Psalm 132 is not explicitly quoting this connection to Christ, we know that that's what it's essentially talking about. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read, and I'm actually going to start at Psalm 131 and then, of course, read through to Psalm 132. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever. 132. Remember, Lord, in David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I certainly will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place, the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard about it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of Jar. Let's go into his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Arise, Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. May your priests be clothed with righteousness, and may your godly ones sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. I will set upon your throne one from the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also will sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it as his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her food. I will satisfy her need with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. I will make the horn of David spring forth here. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but upon himself his crown will gleam. God, we thank you for the way that your word clearly points us to Jesus, both in the Old Testament and the New. God, we thank you for the promise, the covenant promise that we see from the time of David all the way through to now. And that, God, your king, the anointed king, Jesus, is on the throne. Lord, when we stop and we recognize that when the Lord is on the throne, everything about our lives becomes better. Lord, help us not to forget that no matter what, no matter what we're facing in our lives, no matter what struggles we're going through, that the Lord is on the throne. 
We thank you for your wisdom and your timing and your covenant promise. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know. I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org, where there are also some really good resources to help you in your spiritual growth. I pray that they are a blessing for you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call on your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.